Hey everybody, this is Ari in the air. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're doing good. The world is upside down, but you don't necessarily have to be, but you can be. All right, let me give you permission. So today I got a rad episode for you. I got an interview with my friend, Matt Cohn. Matt is a paraglide pilot that I met at a paragliding competition, but he's also a philanthropist. He runs this um, this nonprofit in Nepal called Karma Flights. They do a lot of things with education. They build schools. They provide tuition and books and all kinds of stuff for the kids in Nepal in the Gorkha region. And he also is a very experienced meditator. He goes to a Vipassana retreat, a 10-day silent meditation retreat every year, and has been doing that for about a decade. He also has a deep practice of his own, and he shares a guided meditation with us at the end of this podcast, and it's really super nice. So if you like this podcast, share it, subscribe, leave a review. I would love for you to leave a review. And even more, I'd love for you to throw some coins in my hat on paypal.me slash airy in the air. This is listener supported podcast. Folks really appreciate that help. So, without further ado, here's some music and an interview with my friend, Matt Cohn. Tell me, uh, tell me about your re-entry back into the Western and <coughs> real world, air quotes, real world. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's such a trippy portal. I was, <clears throat> you know, two weeks ago, I'm trekking in the Annapurna range at 12,000 feet and so connected to nature and smiling, happy Nepali people. And then, uh, you know, I find myself on a plane flying back home and then I'm landing JFK. And, uh, like it was the easiest entry ever into America. The guy barely looks at my passport, waves me through. My bags are right there waiting for me. And then I had a 10 hour layover in New York. So I went and saw a friend for lunch. There was nobody, I was the only person on the subway car. <laughs> Whoa. Was, it was just like, what the fuck? So, you know, I had lunch with her and then fly back to Seattle and my kids called me back home and they, and then they, I get back home and they say, yeah, dad, we can't see you for two weeks though. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I've been, I've been doing like playing zoom, zoom, uh, playing cards with my kids and stuff, you know? Oh <laughs> so, man. Yeah. You're but, still, you know, like, you're quarantined. Well, yeah. But in a lot of ways, my life is not that different. I mean, I've been kind of, on an inward journey for 10 years. And so I spent a lot of my time during the day, just in my own little weird bubble. So, um, 
It's it's interesting observing. I, I'm enjoying going to the grocery store every day and seeing the changes. It's almost like this cool litmus test to just feel the energy and see what happens in the grocery store every day as a, as a telltale to what, how things are going in the, in the broader world. So. Whoa, and what are you seeing at the grocery store? You know, there's a... F- the energy's heavier each day I'm going in. Um, it's a little harder to get people to smile. Uh-huh. Um, a couple days ago, it was kind of like, oh, it's snow day and this is all weird. Everybody's kind of looking around for each other for kind of like uh, stability. And and now it's like uh, there's a more fear, like definitely everybody observing the six foot rule and, you know, almost not wanting to make eye contact. That's what I'm feeling just the last two days. So. Uh-huh. Um, I would like to see one of those, you know, when you look at 10 day forecast for weather and <laughs> I, um, I kind of feel like in three or four days time, it'll get a little sunnier and people's smiles will come back or something. So who knows? Yeah. And would that be like the cloud icons clearing away and you'd have the sun icon or would that just be a, a emotional forecast and it would just represent it in emojis? Yeah, I think that's the second part for sure. It's just uh, <laughs> you kind of see this. The emotional yeah, t- forecast. Exactly. Yeah. We have frowny scattered eye contact. <laughs> I remember one of the best pictures I've ever seen was uh, the forecast for 12, uh, 21, 12. And, you know, back in the Mayan calendar change, right? And so there was sunny, sunny. Then on that day, there were temperatures were 3,000 degrees, you know, this complete red red sun. And then the next day, there was no forecast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Great. Yeah. Got to love the meteorological humor. Those exactly. tricky. Mm-hmm. So what is, um, you know, you said people have been reaching out to you for podcast interviews. I feel like I'm a I mean, we, this was already in the works long ago, but you mentioned that you thought that you had been preparing for something like this for your entire life. 10 years. Oh yeah. Yeah. 10, 10 years. That's right. That's right. Start me, start me 10 years ago and tell me, tell me kind of what that, you know, why you think that is the case. Well, I had, I'm 56. Um, at 40, I had a pretty traditional 46 years of life, marriage, kids, cars, tech jobs, money, you know, anything I wanted, I created kind of thing. And then about 10 years ago, my wife sat me down and said, I'm leaving the marriage. And the kids went off to college. And basically, it was Armageddon, like, my whole world was not the same any longer. Mm. And it was the first time in my life I wasn't getting my way. It was pretty interesting experience. And so I went to Nepal, all things good. I was going to go and drink beer and fly and uh, going to go with Maddie Sr. and go do the big stuff. And a couple of days into flying, I wasn't really enjoying the beer because the beer is kind of sucky in Nepal. And I wasn't enjoying the flying. And I met this guy in a cafe that said he had done the hardest thing he'd ever done. And I assumed that was climb Mount Everest. And he said, no, I, I did a 10-day Vipassana course. And I had never meditated five minutes in my life. And I was like, I'm going to go do that. And (laughs) so I checked into this 10-day concentration camp and uh, meditated. It was by far the hardest thing I've ever done. 
and it started getting super psychedelic. And I was like, wow, this is interesting. Um, and pretty much from then, I mean, the last thing I went back and just left my job, uh, just started traveling. And you know, the last 10 years has been this sort of strange dream that I'm not exactly sure what the hell I'm doing. Um, but it felt right. And distance, it, unfortunately, distanced myself from family and other things because they all thought I'd lost my rocker. And literally like the last three weeks or so as this turn of events in the world has come about, I'm starting to see like, holy shit, I actually feel like somewhat prepared for this. I, I have a sense of it being for the overall benefit of all. And, you know, so it's just kind of like, wow, I'm kind of glad I've done that work. That I wasn't wow. sure what the, what the hell I was doing it for. I mean, it really wasn't from a place of, oh, I want to go do this because of that. It wasn't causal. It wasn't like, I want this to, to accomplish something. It was just sort of doing it and almost like walking backwards for, in life forwards. And then all of a sudden, like, <laughs> and like, oh, that's why all this is happening. So, yeah. Tell me what that first Vipassana was like. Dude, it was, so here's a funny story. I'm, I literally, the guy says, you're really going to go do this. I'm like, yeah. And he says, well, if you're going to go, you should take this meditation stool because they won't, at this center, if you want a, a cushion, they'll give you a napkin. And I was like, okay, fine. So he gives me this kneeling stool. And so the very first morning, there's a two hour sit. But again, I've only sat for five minutes, maybe in my whole life. I'm in the back row, I'm kneeling, and my knees hurt like hell. And then all of a sudden, my chest hurts, like, like really hurts. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to get enlightened in the first morning. This is awesome. And then the next thing I know, my nose hurts. I'm like, holy shit. And so I go to the teacher afterwards, and I go, yeah, I did this heart energy, and then my nose hurts. And he goes, yeah, you fainted, you fell on your face, you got back up, no problem. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> so, and we're in silent meditation for, for nine straight days. So on the 10th day, when they break meditation, the, everybody comes over to us and to me and says, you know, that first day we thought you were dead and nobody was coming to help you. And then all of a sudden you rose from the dead. Oh <laughs> meditated. So yeah, it was, I was a breath away from leaving for 10 days. It was so much pain. But there was something inside of me that honestly, it felt so familiar. Like I, at nighttime, when the teacher would do his discourse, so like I almost have heard this so many times, where's this coming from? And it, it connected me to something, whether it's a past life or a vibrational frequency or something that just felt really right and, and familiar to me. Um, so that was what that course, I, you know, and I started getting like, strange dreams and one day i was thoroughly convinced we were all getting beamed out of there into some other planet so you know start getting these pretty trippy experiences in it um but it's all natural right it's no no substances so whoa and is that something that you you know i know that you've personally recommended that to me and i've told you mm -hmm. that i'm afraid and mm -hmm. um that i i feel like very highly interested and i even like sure. went as far as uh, talking to the instructor here in Brighton Bush at the retreat center and it just didn't the money and the time and everything just didn't line up for me but I really want to do it but I'm afraid to do it is this something you think that it, like people should do 
Or is this just for the well, weirdos like you? Well, I mean, two things. Uh, you, you may have checked. The courses that I do are free. Um, there are 300 centers offered by Goenka around the world, and you can't pay for it. it. Other people have paid for you to go, and when you finish the course, you can make a donation. So there's different forms of Vipassana, but the, the most widely one recognized is taught by a guy named S.M. Goenka. So money should never be an issue unless you, you know, you got you're working and you need to get your revenue that week or something. Um, my, my general take on this is if you're ready, absolutely. If you're not, don't, I mean, it's, it's the red pill. It's generally the same kind of advice I give to people that are interested in ayahuasca or something like that. It's like, you know, this is going to change your life. And if you're enjoying the life that you're in right now, you're enjoying your opinions, you're enjoying like how you see things, you're like, you're enjoying your trauma and your, your debates, then, then definitely go, don't go do something like this. Because once you start going down this practice of unwinding your ego, um, you know, it gets sort of, you can't really stop it. It just keeps going and life changes. Um, and so yeah, I mean, if you're fearful of changing your life or you're losing your opinion, your status, or your how people see you in the world, then definitely don't do it. <laughs> wow. But uh, yeah, but it's, I mean, the way I see the world, Ari, is, is the body is a hard drive, right? It, you can think about it from a chakra system. It's got seven, it's a seven partitioned hard drive. The body's 72% water. The water stores all of our memories and emotions. Uh, our life has been like a wind, an old Windows computer that's been cruising the internet for years and hasn't had virus protection. So we've collected all kinds of viruses from ourselves, from our family, from society. And all these things are riding on our system. We wake up in the morning, we boot up. And think like a 10-year-old Windows computer that doesn't run very well. Um, you know, you kind of figure out how to make it work. But it, in reality, it's just kind of clunky. And then you, you sit in a cafe and you see a guy next to you running a new Mac computer. And you're like, holy shit, that runs well. So then you, you do a course like Vipassana, which is a defragmentation virus removal software system where you literally go into the water and you start deleting these leeches, these viruses, these crap that's running your, your operating system. And the, pain, the process is painful. It's like tearing off scabs and there's pain when you remove these things. But each time you sit, you take off you know, 0.001% and it's cumulative and you get to hack your system and takes the stuff off the hard drive. So that's, that's how I see it. I've got a bit of a software background. So, you know, that metaphor works well for me, but that's my experience of it. Wow. Yeah. And I see, I see that in myself too. I see so much of the, just like my risk, my reactions as opposed mm -hmm. to like a sure. genuine response. I just see myself like react yeah. Like last night, my girlfriend's like, hey, Harry, can you change the music? And I was like really enjoying the music that I had found. And I was like, sure. just I like made this face to her yeah. before I was like, hey, yeah, I'm sorry. Let me change the music. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry yeah. about that. <laughs> so yeah. we all have these conditioning, you know, these. Sure. And, you know, when you say that if you're enjoying your opinions and if you're enjoying your debates and your arguments and your ego... You know, I think that we, we feel like we enjoy it because we're, I feel like we're addicted to it, but we actually don't enjoy sure. it. Yeah, I have this visual uh, picture on the left-hand side, a graph, left-hand side and a bar right through the middle. 
Um, at the top of the thing is plus 10, down the bottom, the left side is minus 10, and the middle is zero. And those are, those are uh, intensities. And many people live at a minus eight intensity. So mm. a lot of struggle in the world and so forth, but, it's a, but it, generally it's an intensity of eight. So they're used to that level of an intensity in life. Mm. And to get to, a plus, to get to a plus eight, one has to go to minus seven, minus six, minus five, minus four. And it's kind of like you're used to getting drunk and going to parties, and now you need to get sober. You got to start going to parties sober. It's less interesting. You know, it's mm -hmm. less intensity. And so, yeah, if you're enjoying a level of intensity of eight, you don't want to, and minus eight, if you start going to Vipassana, you might start experiencing life as a minus four. It, it's, it's hard to see that it's benefiting you when it's less intensity. You follow me? Yeah. Right. And, and moving so up quite the scale. Enough, yeah, but you got to go through the zero. You got to go, th <laughs> you got to go through zero, which would be like complete boredom. Like mm -hmm. you got to kind of go through zero before you can go to plus one, plus two, plus three. And, and that's, you know, people are, when they say attached to their dramas or attached to these troubles, I see it more they're attached to the intensity of life. Mm -hmm. And to replace minus eight with plus eight is a, you know, it's a hard practice. It takes maybe a year or two or so to move through minus four, you know, to zero to plus one, two, three, four, and then on to eight. Um, it, it requires silence. It requires distancing yourself from intensity. And that's hard when people are really jacked up on caffeine all day to break caffeine, to go to more, less energy, lower energies before you can rise to see higher energies. Wow. Yeah. You see I'm, that? Yeah. yeah, I totally hear that. And as I sip my coffee, as I sip my coffee here, <laughs> I, uh, I feel it. Yeah, I sure. feel it in myself. Sure. And I, I totally, yeah. I totally, uh, you know, I sit enough to see these things and not enough to change them. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's really hard. And I, I think that you're totally right when what you're saying of how we're, we get attuned to the certain intensities as opposed to the content as much. And I think that there yeah. is a addiction that people get to the negative, to the, you know, they, you know, however they're conditioned in their upbringing that conditions them sure. to recreate their traumas in adulthood. Um, yeah. And that they're only like, you know, if you grow up in a negative household, then a positive place is unfamiliar. It's alien. It's, it's, um, you know, it's not comfortable. So they recreate yeah. that and they get addicted to that. But yeah, the, sure. as far as the intensity goes, that totally makes sense. And I feel, I mean, I feel that in my, just in my life, you know, as a, just an action sports athlete, just the intensity sure. of sure. life. Mm -hmm. Girlfriend's like, Hey, do you want to go on a walk? I'm like, yeah. yeah. Okay. She's like, can you slow down? I'm like, uh, slow down like we're already on a walk man like you know how slow i am right now <laughs> for sure so for sure yeah it's it's a it's i i really see it's more a function of intensity than a function of negative and positive and but to get from negative to positive you got to go through lower intensities and then you can get addicted to high intensity again of things that just feel good so
it was interesting. I had a very positive life up until I was 46, but it was a lot of intensity. And then this shit hit the fan for me. And I had these weirdest experiences right after that where I'd wake up in the morning and I'd watch, basically like watch my hard drive coming to boot up. And it would be searching for that negative thing. For the first time, it'd be finding this, my difficult situation with the divorce I was going for. And they would find it and they'd be like, oh, there you are. Now I can get out of bed. I'm like, man, this is screwed up. Like, why is it looking for that? And I, I love, I love, a teacher told me, imagine you're driving in your car down a highway. On the left side of the road is a traffic accident, a car accident. On the right side of the road is a perfect rose tree. You drive down the road, which one do you look at? They're both equal as far as the universe is concerned. Why do we look at the traffic accident? You know, why, what is it inside of us that has us look left and not right? And see that just incredible. They're both equal, absolutely equal in the universe. They just are. And it's like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. And there is like, I slam. go ahead, go ahead. I was, in, I was in Nepal, and my first day, I slammed my left finger into a taxi cab door window. And my immediate reaction was, I laughed, and I'm like, oh, man, this is going to hurt. And I'd open the door to take it out. And then something inside of me says, now go pay attention to your other finger on the other hand and see what's going on there. And for like 10 minutes, I was like, I'm not going to pay attention to the finger that was in the door. I'm paying attention to this other thing. Like, this is the rose tree. Like this finger, oh my God, it's got nothing. It feels good. It's not going to lose its nail and whatever, right? <laughs> it was so hard to do to pay attention to the rose tree and not the traffic accident. Whoa, dude. <laughs> that's a funny, that's a funny <laughs> mental exercise. Yeah, it worked though. And like 10 minutes later, it was just like my finger was sort of twirling and uh, just sort of laugh through it. But it's like, no, rose tree, rose tree, no accident. There's no accident over there. <laughs> oh my God. So... You've been doing a lot of writing and I've been mm. reading your writing and I love it. The dream journals and the interactions with Yoda Monk. Tell me how this whole thing started and kind of just give me, give us an overview of what this is and what it's been like experientially for you. Um, so 2012 was a big year for me. I mean, the world changed. I, I was doing psychedelics. I was going to Peru. I mean, a lot of weird stuff happened that year. And I was in Nepal and I walk into this macrame shop and behind the counter was this painting. And literally it just knocked me over. It was like, holy crap. And it was just a simple painting. And it was a picture of this little Yoda, Yoda dude, Yoda monk dude. And I was like, I have to buy it. And I asked the, the shopkeeper, could I buy this thing? And he's like, that's not for sale. And for three years, every time I went to Nepal, every other day or so, I'd walk in and ask if it was for sale that day. And he said, no, not today. And then somewhere around 2015, he said, yeah, you, you're the right person. You can buy this. <laughs> like, how much? He's like, well, you have to figure out how much it's worth to you, <laughs> which was, was a painful process. I went for like a week and kind of came back and I offered the guy an absorbent amount of money and he just took the money. He wasn't even like happy to take it. And uh, so that, that picture was this this funny little humble Nepali monk guy. And as soon as I took it home, he started showing up in my dreams at night. Um, it was like 2015 or so. And usually somewhere between three and five in, in the morning, I get sort of woken up 
it's not really a deep sleep. It's just kind of like um, between worlds. And, you know, he, sometimes he's there visually, but a lot of times it's just like this self uh, download reflection time. And these weird insights come like this contrarian view. Like you saw the world this way today, but let's look at it this way. And what about looking at it this way? And what about looking at it this way? And, you know, there's so many different ways to look at an onion. You just see things so differently every time. Um, so, uh, and it's kind of led my daily exploration of things is these nighttime reflections. And then the next day I'll kind of look at things differently and explore it. Well, somewhere around the beginning of the year, I was working with a teacher in Hawaii and, and she's like, encourage me to be more uh, expressive with the way I see things and challenge me to put some stuff out on, on Facebook. So it was pretty scary shit. I'm not really a visible person on Facebook and to put out a viewpoint this is prior to Corona, but to put out stuff that, you know, that Trump may not be the worst thing in the world if he gets reelected, you know, just what happens if, and just exploring the non-obvious and kind of putting those things out there in, in a written form. So that was the dream journal initiative. It, it's been a you know vulnerable stretching process because um, to, to we all want to have people like us or agree with us and when people don't it's like oh shit do I defend myself or are they right or you know so it's been a good yeah. process. Yeah, I think um, the one that caught me was you were talking about Trump's inner child and like mm. what his childhood might have been like and and whether you were going to vote for him for re-election based on whether you thought it would be good for him to be re-elected. And I just like, that is an opinion that is from fucking outer space on Facebook. Like that is so far <laughs> from the conversation. <laughs> like Matt Cohn reporting from Mars on the re-election <laughs> exactly. i was just like oh my god like uh you know and right. and i love the the prose of dream journal because mm. there's this there's this ability of a journalist to report objective mm. reality right but then mm. you might actually <laughs> glean deeper realities from a poet than you would mm. from the journalist. The journalist yeah. might be able to tell you what happened, but like what it means might take an artist. And to go into the prose of Dream Journal just kind of gives you space. And, sure. and so I really, well, really appreciated that. It, it's a cool place to write from because as you said, you kind of can, it's safe because you can distance yourself from it and say, listen, this is just a dream. But Ari, for a long time, I've had this viewpoint that at nighttime, I'm a fully conscious being. And then I get tired and I fall asleep. And this daytime is the dream. Hmm. And, and then I wake up, I get tired, I wake up from this dream, and then I go experience full consciousness. And so it's not the other way. The dream time is the real stuff. And this is just this weird fantasy dream that I've created for myself. Um, is that something that you think you've curated through meditation to enhance your dream state as a, the higher part of your consciousness? I don't know where it came from. I mean, I, I tried for a long time to practice lucid dreaming at night 
and it got to a place where I could do it a little bit. And then I had this realization, well, all lucid dreaming is higher consciousness. And if I can, I can lucid dream during the day, then you can do stuff like Moses and Jesus and stuff where you can you know, part waters and stuff. And so if I can lucid dream during the day, which is simply just, you know, working with my thoughts, then in fact, I'll change this daytime dream anytime I want to. Hmm. Um, and so it's a matter of practice of lucid dreaming during the day, which I would say I'm a complete novice beginner at, but just simply staying positive and the aloha practice is beautiful, which is, is you bless everything you like and you accept everything you don't. So if you walk through the day and say, yeah, I like that. I like that. I like that. I like that. Guess what? You get more of those things and it starts to squeeze out the things you don't like. And that's lucid dreaming. Right. Hmm. What do you think, do you think there's a, like, what's the gross benefit of more people being in such a state or such a practice? Like, is meditation a way for us to find the next iteration of human potential? I think it just really matters if I personally meditate more. I'll attract more people that are like me and that I'll notice that more and more of the people around me are meditating. Um, and those that aren't will not appear on my computer screen during the day. Mm. So, you know, what I'm really finding right now is the only way to change the world, you know, these, these concepts that seem foreign, but now they're starting to make sense to me. The only way to change the world is to change the inside. For sure. And, and so I, like, my favorite book is illusions by Richard Bach. And he's like, we all, none of us live in the same world. We all have our own worlds. And, you know, there's a kid in Africa that's experiencing something completely different to me. And, and his world is not my world. And there are, there are sentient beings that are in other parallel dimensions side by side with me. I, I have a suspicion. And their world is as unique to them as the kid in Africa. Mm. We're not sharing the same worlds, right? So if I focus on my world and make my world clean, take the viruses off of the system in my world, then the world around me gets healed. And, or, or gets, how many of you say it healed? It gets activated to be more like my world. Mm. Right? Yeah, and I like what you're saying. You're actually not even saying any kind of improvement. You're talking about defragmentation. You're talking about stripping away what is actually just like gunky and shitty and illusory. Yeah. A really nice teacher of mine in Hawaii, when I saw him in January, he said that in Hawaiian culture, the, the practice is called Huna. And the definition of healing in Huna is activating dormant energy. So, so it's like we have dormant energy in our system and it's not clean gunk or whatever. It's just a sleep. And if we bring consciousness or awareness to it, it wakes up and either benefits us or leaves because it's no longer a vibrational match to who we are. So it's gone. And so it's, it's better way of looking at it. Like it's not a dirty closet. It's just like there's unactivated energy around me. And when I meditate and I bring consciousness to those parts of me that are stuck, they awaken and either dance with me or leave the party you know, it's up you know it really just depends if they're a vibrational match to who i am 
Mm. And what are this like, what are the daytime, you know, your, your daytime waking reality? What is like the experiential difference from Matt today to the, you know, a decade ago before you had any kind of mindfulness practice? In some way, I kind of want to sell people on, on like learning to meditate or doing the inner work because it is my opinion. I share the opinion with you that to change the world, you have to change yourself. It starts from yourself. It starts with the relationship with yourself and then it expands outwards it, you know, to your closest, your primary partner and your closest five friends to your, all the way out to your Dunbar group. And then how you feel about your place in humanity, the universe at large. So help me sell people on some kind of mindfulness practice as a way to change the world. Because right now people are like, Oh, the world is changing. And I feel like so many of them are stuck at negative eight and they are in the victim mentality. That is the world is happening to me and it is out of my control. And, um, you know, that is basically the, the pros on Facebook is everyone in some kind of call out culture where they're just like illuminating one bad thing after the other and out crying that it's one bad thing after the next. But talk to me. Talk to you. Well, the first thing I, I think we've created all of this to know who we are. So there are no problems. It's a difficult thing to say in this world, but like everything was created for us by us. So, you know, we were perfect and we were bored being perfect. So we created the non-perfect so we could wake up to who the perfect is again. And, you know, that will happen to each of us in individual timeframes. When we, Byron Katie is an amazing author and she has a quote that says, I would never dream of taking your suffering away from you. But when you're bored with it, I have some tools. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. her, her point is the last thing we would ever want to do is prematurely relieve someone's suffering because that's likely to hold them in purgatory longer because they, they need the suffering to become so acute that they wake up from the dream and look around and say, Oh, this isn't real. Um, and wow, so I, I just, per- I, that just sounds so much like what's going on right now is, yeah, is like you go from, just the garden of Eden, modern civilization that has anything all the time. And everyone has, you know, like there's so many of us who have just extra time and extra money and extra toys and all of the stuff. And the grocery store is full of just beautiful fruit and vegetables. And, and, and then to go into some kind of wartime quarantine, it like shakes them and they like, they like wake up. Or uh, like you're saying, they get addicted to the suffering and they just continue to outcry the suffering. Exactly. I was listening to your podcast about problems and this is an auto-correcting system created by us, right? And so we've created the suffering to be able to feel the non-suffering. And at some point the suffering gets so acute that from it and we use the tools to suffer less. Um, and so my recommendation to people is don't meditate until the suffering's really bad. And then you'll be motivated to, to be interested in the experience of it to bring you out of your suffering. Mm-hmm. But if you convince someone to meditate before they're ready for it, and this is, the, this is to me the real big 
potential um, downside, if you will, of psychedelics and, and working with DMT or things is that it, it, it potentially releases things before people are ready for it. And, and so when people really go in with a conscious mindset that they want to use medicines to, to awaken, um, it's okay. But a lot of people can accidentally do it or stuff. And, it, and it's, like, you know, it's, it's like giving a kid that was working a paper route and starting to build a life all of a sudden wins the lottery. Yeah. And now they have everything they'd ever need and they don't ever have that incentive to work again. Right? It robs them of the process. And so I just think that meditation is really profound when you're in deep suffering, which for me was acute when my going through an unexpected divorce. And, but I was like, I want to, I want to work with this. This is interesting. You know, it's, it's meaty. And until people get to that place, it's, it's kind of premature. The cool thing right now is it's like exploding and people are like having an incentive to go inward and they're getting dragged inward mm-hmm. by their subconscious minds saying, let's go, let's go here. You've got to pay attention to this. I mean, you can distract yourself. You can be busy. You can watch movies. You can do drugs you can drink. You can do a bunch of things, but you know, at some point you can't get away from it. At some point you can't get away from it. Isn't that true? Yeah, yeah we are seeing that <laughs> in our society right now. There are things that are coming up that we're like, I think we've ignored this too long now. Our fiat-based currency that we crashed in 2008 and then swept it under the rug. Maybe we shouldn't have swept it under the rug then, but it was easy. Mm. Yeah, I see it all as perpetual improvement and evolutionary. Like, like we create systems and then we outgrow them. You know, we go to kindergarten and then we go to first grade, you know, we go to high school and the systems in high school worked well. And then we graduate and we move and we go on to another system. Um, and so there, you know, the system of high school was perfect for when we were in high school. The system of fiat currency was perfect for the last you know, couple hundred years or so. And, and now it's, it's, it's not, it's just ready to go. It'll fall asleep and new things will be born from it. Um, and I got this weird perception in the last 10 years. It's like, there is no such thing as a problem. There is things that we outgrow and there's opportunity from that, mm-hmm. but everything was created for a purpose at its time. It was serving. And then we move from that to the next state. Yeah. And I think that that's something that takes a lot of courage to shed the to put down the pacifier and to evolve to the blankie. <laughs> it's just easier. It's just <laughs> freaking easier, dude. They, I love the story in the beginning of illusions. There's this river and there are these creatures that live at the bottom of the river and they've been clinging to these rocks for generations and generations. And one generation, there's this creature born and he's asking like, why do we cling to these rocks? And they say, well, if you let go, you'll go over those rocks down there, down river and you'll kill yourself. And he goes, you know what, I'd rather do that than hold on to this rock. And so he lets go. And he floats down, he crashes over the rocks, but he gets to the next pool and he learns how to swim. And he, he, he's stoked because he swims back upstream and he's swimming all over the creatures. And he's, and he's like, you know, you can just let go. And they're like, no, you have all these special powers. You're the Messiah. We must cling. And he's like, no, just fucking let go. <laughs> Trust me. And so I, I love that visual. Of, yeah, we can hold on and cling and have opinions and 
declare all this stuff is wrong and broken. But if we surrender, we, we see how the system is just always improving. And, and the system will improve whether humans are around or not. Of course, we'll be extinct someday. Like everything has a life cycle. Um, but we're part of the broader consciousness. So, yeah. you know, we'll have experiences as humans and then we'll transmute into something else and we'll have experiences something else that needed to come to earth with because it was a nuclear waste site and that's why it was created for us. Mm. You know, that's pretty, yeah, you're, you're, a lot of st- you're staying consistent with your view that is so far off of earth that you are looking down on earth from Mars <laughs> as the future nuclear wasteland that is inhabited by aliens who use large not plastic straws to drink the nuclear sludge yes so i had this other experience aria i'm i'm laying at night in hawaii on the lava fields right so uh, the north end of Big Island, there's the big lava fields. And I'm laying there and have this realization that nature has a volcano. It caused it to erupt. It sent this molten lava down, completely wiped out a forest, destructed everything in its sight, and came down into the ocean. Right. So that was nature that did that. You follow me? Yep. So humans are part of nature. Like we're, we're, nature created us. We're part of it. Absolutely, and, and, na- and nature has created us and put us on planet Earth, and and everything that we have done has been part of nature's intelligence. Like we aren't we aren't adversely affecting nature; we are nature, and so we can we can have our intelligence to says we may or may or not do this, or maybe it's not a good idea to burn down the, the Amazon rainforest. And if enough of us think that we don't do that, and then in fact we don't do it, then that's what nature wanted. Hmm. But if the majority of us do do stuff like that, then there's an intelligence in nature that's having that be done. And for me to argue with reality is insanity. So I don't, I don't have a chainsaw and I'm not going down and cutting down the rainforest. But in fact, that's what's happening. And if I'm not going down there you know, then in, in fact, that that's what's supposed to be happening. Hmm. It's difficult. It's presumptive for me to put my intelligence above the intelligence of nature. Yeah. yeah I think that that is, um, you know, it's, and is that something that's like bound in when you talk about that, that's almost like in a, just a deep acceptance of what is. Can you say that one more time? That's like, you're talking about that as like a deep acceptance of what is that just because it's happening for you to put your own opinion about it over it is to, I don't know, is, like you said, it's presumptive. It's also great suffering. Mm. But, but if I accept this moment, you know, EWAP, if I accept this moment as perfect and am I, an artist with raw materials, what am I inspired to create? And, and I may be inspired to create, to go down and create a new rainforest, or I may be inspired to see that this box goes in this recycling bin better than that bin. Um, so I take action from this moment, knowing that this moment is perfect, 
and I don't fight nature. I don't fight is, but I take inspired action from that place. Mm. It's a whole lot easier. Yeah. It's a whole lot easier. And yeah. And I, I see how like liberating and free that perspective can be. I see when you say that if the forest is being chopped down and I presume my opinion to be what is right and what actually needs to happen, that I create suffering in myself. But I also, it's, it's a tough thing to balance because I feel like we do, we have been endowed with a consciousness that is growing, that is collectively through all of our senses through all of our means through science through meditation through insight through observation all of these different ways we're gleaning different realities as to how things work and how we might best sure. uh, steward them and so i know that you're not throwing that away and um yeah. but I, I just i would encourage people if if you're inspired about the rainforest another way to position it says you know what i'm inspired to see the rainforest survive i could be wrong maybe it is important that it's taken down i could be wrong but it feels right to me that we preserve it and and others that feel the same way let's get together and have some ideas of ways that we could maybe preserve this or or take it where we think it should go but a general humility to us to say but we might be wrong mm. right and my sense is that's a way more powerful position to create from, from a place of uh, joy and creation and imagination than trying to fight it down, you know, an uphill battle. Absolutely. I think that what you're describing right there is the delineation between the victim mentality that life is happening to me yeah. and this like call out culture of like, this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong versus the creator thing that is like I take responsibility for my own reality and my own experience, my own emotions and opinions. And um, I think that that's a crucial, crucial element in what we're talking about. Absolutely. There's a really wonderful way of seeing the world called passionate detachment. Mm -hmm. uh, Carl, Carlos Castaneda used to talk about this. And the idea was you have passion for a particular vision but you continually detach from it coming out the way you think you want it to come out because source has a better picture for you than you can imagine. Uh -huh. If we stay attached to our vision, then we may slow the process down or we may get what we asked for, but we'll miss the bigger prize that was available to us. So it, it, it has a, I, I think this would be a really cool thing to do. Let's go make an attempt to it, but stay flexible along the way. Yeah, I think that flexibility and humility is of utmost importance. Because at the end of the day, I think that there's a lot of people who attach themselves to their crusades so vehemently that when it doesn't go their way, they're literally, the amount of suffering that comes pouring into them is just unbelievable. It's unreal. And it's, it's hard to see. It's hard to see that they got eighty-five percent of what they wanted, but they see the fifteen percent of what they didn't want, and and can't see the other seventy percent that came along with the eighty-five percent, which is far greater. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. 
Dude, you have such a wonderful perspective and I think it's super, super, super refreshing. It really is. It really challenges, it challenges the way that I think and what, especially in a time like this, what I have been uh, ruminating on as to what is our best practice? What is the problem that we're facing? What is the way to think about it? What is the way that each person can take action to better, um, you know, better serve the, better address the problems and meet the needs that we all have. Um, and I think that these perspectives are super, super helpful. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. No problem. I was hoping that maybe you could um, guide us in a little meditation here so that we can end off. Cool. You asked me to prep for that. Let me just a couple of words about meditation. Um, totally. There's a, a school of yoga called Raja Yoga. And it's also called the Eight Limbs of Yoga. And in that school, they view this eight-step pyramid. And the, there's kind of like these building blocks that build on top of each other. At the very top of the, medi- of the pyramid is a little small point c- called meditation. And then below that are a bunch of things that you can practice. So at the very bottom of the pyramid is something basically like live a good and moral life. So, and you know, do good things, be good to people, be kind. The step above that is asana, which is, we think about in the West as yoga, but that's basically preparing your body for long-term meditation sits. So asana is just, you know, moving and getting open and putting yourself in different postures. There's a step above that called pranayama, which is working with your breath to prepare yourself for long-term meditation. There's a couple steps in the middle. I forget the names of them. Um, but the step right below meditation is a step called dharnya. And dharnya is the mind focus on a specific task. So one of the reasons that you and I love paragliding and people love rock climbing is because when we're paragliding, our mind is a partner with us in the present moment. And it cannot think about girlfriends wanting different music. It can't tell us about the world or can't tell us about viruses because we're so paying attention to the present moment. So it's, it's forced Darnia and it's a precursor to meditation because the mind is focused on the present moment. Follow me? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I know a lot of paragliding pilots that actually don't enjoy paragliding, but they like the effect after paragliding because their mind is calm to them for like 24 hours. Mm. Um, and once they've landed, it's like, Oh, now I feel good because the mind is not barked at them for, you know, an hour and a half session in flight. Um, mm. and so paragliding and rock climbing are, are forced darnia. Um, and the mind is forced to be in partner with you. There are other tasks that we can do where we can give the mind something interesting to do other than just sitting in meditation and focus on breath. If you've got a mind that has been doing its own ultimate number of things for 50 years, and now you want to start meditating, you sit down, you tell the mind to focus on breath. The mind's like, screw you. Like I went, I'm going from infinite to one. That's a big jump. Follow me. Yeah. Right. Right. And so that's why people can, you know, sit and meditate for maybe a minute or so on breath. And then they say, screw this. I got to go do something different. So I like to practice Darnia meditations a lot. And Darnia meditations is I, I, I tell my mind, who's this kind of young kid, he say, Hey dude, let's do this for a little bit and make it something interesting. 
So let's practice a Darnya meditation. So it's a little slightly more interesting than a straight meditation. Oh, thank God. Oh, okay. thank God. <laughs> All right. That's so, so welcome. So sit comfortably. Okay. Uh, maybe maybe hands, hands in your lap, uh, feet on the ground, um, eyes closed. And we'll just take three deep breaths for a second. Just calming the nervous system down a little bit. And we're going to do a meditation that I call the pentagram meditation. And it's five times more interesting than following breath. <laughs> so we're going to draw pentagrams in our body. And so the first thing to do is bring awareness to your left foot. And just feel if you can feel any tinglings in your left foot, any sensations in your left foot, and you breathe in and out of the left foot. And now bring awareness to the top of your head. And you might feel some little tinglings on the top of the head, maybe some air. Sometimes people feel like ants or little bugs crawling on the top of your head. And now bring your awareness down to the bottom of your right foot. Feel sensations. It's moving. Now we're going to go to our left shoulder. And feel sensations. Maybe some tightness. Now we'll go over to the right shoulder. sensations, a little twitch. And now we're going back to the left foot. So we've just created a star inside of the body. Get the left foot. And we'll put it at the top of the head. Now the right foot. And left shoulder. And right shoulder. Left foot. Now do one round on yourself, by yourself. We'll start again together, last foot. Top of head. Left shoulder, right shoulder, left foot. Now, if you notice what's at the middle of the star is our heart. So we've basically created energy 
all five directions around the heart. Take about five or 10 breaths, breathing just deep into the heart. Now wiggle your fingers, wiggle your toes. And we're gonna do one thing here is open your eyes and take your eyes as far to the left as possible. And imagine on the left side of you, there's a door with an exit sign above it. Now take your eyes as far to the right as possible. And imagine there's a door with an exit sign above it. Now put your eyes back in the middle and repeat after me. This, this right, right, is, is a, a hilarious, hilarious fucking, fucking movie. Movie. Mm -hmm. There you go, brother. <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> or not. It could be a it could be a horrific horrific horror show, whatever movie theater you're in. Mm -hmm. Anytime you want, you can get up and go take a piss and do that practice and decide if you go back into that theater or pick a different theater. Mm. We have choices. Yeah. We have choices. Dude, thank you so much, Matt. I really love yeah. you and I really appreciate your perspective. Anytime, brother. Okay, you guys, I hope you enjoyed that. And I hope that you are still in a very meditative space after that guided meditation. So I will remind you as you are in a meditative trance to donate to the show. PayPal.me slash Airy in the air. Wah, 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 wah. Stay healthy. Stay sane. Stay safe. See you on the next episode, folks. Love you. Bye.